0: Hey everyone, David here. I want to tell you about my music podcast, On Rotation. It's engaging, interactive, and
1: insightful. Music Mm -hmm. interlines with everything. It's something that always rings true to me. So when I need something to kind of root me, I can always go back to music in a sense, you know? Yeah.
0: Join me each episode as we rotate through a number of topics and hear why it's the podcast that's always on replay and never on repeat. Listen to On Rotation wherever you get your podcasts.
1: If you can learn something new and expand what you already know and change your perspective on something, especially in music, that's the biggest piece of momentum anyone can have. I think that's a big thing that artists need to do. They just be honest with what they're going through, saying, you know what, I could write a song about this. It's definitely something that's helped me find my way to myself. It's been really nice to be able to like connect with people and get
2: this immediate feedback reaction.
0: Life is busy, but there's always time for music. hey everybody what's up what's happening you're listening to on rotation the podcast that's always on replay and never on repeat thank you so much for joining us today my name is david i'll be your host and lovely guide gavi Kutleroff is the musical mastermind behind pleasant peasant in case you couldn't already tell he's got a pretty unique sound to him I sat down with Gavi to discuss the evolution of his music career, as well as how he sees himself progressing as an artist. First of all, how do you pronounce your full name? Because on your Instagram, it's—is it
1: Gavi? Yeah, Gavi. Yeah, Gavi Cuddleroff. My full name's actually Gabrielle. Okay. But, um Literally, no one calls me that. <laughs> so you go by uh, Gavi. Yeah, I go by Gavi. Yeah, and then you know, I'm sure you know—you know—the you know artist names under uh, under Pleasant Peasants, what I've been going by, for like a year now. Yeah, where did where the hell did that name come from? <laughs> yeah, in uh, in uh, I it was based on a lyric that I wrote. In a, so, so I put out um, don't don't look them up, but I I put out under my under my actual under my, my real name uh, under my Christian name. I'm totally Jewish, but uh, in my, <laughs> under uh, under under Gavi Cutleroff, uh I had I put out two albums. Just a bunch of solo acoustic stuff um, like that I kind of very like quickly recorded throughout different points in my gap year before college and once I think between my freshman and sophomore year of college. And those were under my uh, my actual name. And there was a song on there. Oh God, I don't even remember the name of the song now it was so long ago. I think I recorded this when I was 18, but there was a lyric in there that I've always loved. It was like pleasantries of peasantries. I was just I was like, I mean, I've, I've always been into wordplay, but at the time I was like really messing with that kind of thing. And the line, it was this very, I don't know, I've always been really into, like, fleet foxes and, and uh, like, kind of, like, Lord of the Rings-esque, like, yeah. fantastical imagery and language. And uh, that kind of always stuck with me for years. And it sort of dawned on me that, like, no one was going to remember the name Gabi off after, after like, seeing me on the street or at a gig. So I needed something catchy. And um, I, la- I loved the sound of Pleasant Peasant. And I thought that the language of it really captured my my kind of indie folky vibe. And uh, yeah, I've been, I've been, I've been saying my brand is like pleasant and groovy. That's <laughs> that's uh, okay yeah. I'm trying to create. So uh, it, a, a bunch of the stars aligned on that one, I think. Has it done you well, like branding under that name? Uh, it's definitely. It seems to be memorable memorable to people. Yeah. So you know, I think mentally, I'm still like playing in my basement a little bit even though i'm like trying to put myself out there but especially like i moved to new york in august and pandemics opening up and mm. you know what i mean so it's still like i haven't had the chance to kind of like put myself out there too much with it but i uh it, it seems to have a, a certain like stick factor for people which is a good sign
0: yeah well it definitely stuck out in my mind i was yeah, looking you up. up and thinking of questions and things like that i was like pleasant peasant pleasant i was like wait what is it again so it may i mean it made me think and i was like yeah. i gotta get this right i'm talking to the guy like i gotta <laughs> get his name right you know
1: yeah yeah, yeah totally
0: And the aspect of putting yourself out Mm -hmm. there, from what I knew about you, because you came recommended from, you know, a duo that I interviewed not that long ago, Late Night Thoughts, Mm -hmm. is that you have done a lot of production work. So have you kind of started out, or I guess your career in music, did it start out with you more behind the scenes, and now you're just starting to get into the front end?
1: No, totally the opposite, actually. I'm really, yeah, that's actually an interesting question. It's funny, because I really like, I have like the opposite of a natural affinity for like gear, tech anything electric like at all you know i play electric guitar but i really like i've mainly since i was like 13 i've like always i don't even have an, i'm like very like puritanical about it i don't even have an acoustic electric like like everything is raw um and live and i have just like really just like me and a guitar for like 10 years mm-hmm. um give or take um and then like a year ago i came back i was living in israel for like six months just before the pandemic hit and then when it hit came back to america and i was like living in my parents house for like five months and i had this like blue yeti like awful mic from from like from like a Hanukkah present from high school that I had never figured out how to use and like GarageBand that I had never really deciphered and I was just like okay like the time has come like I'm a big boy now like I got to figure out how to uh, actually make myself sound the way time I to want. get a new mic yeah exactly right and there was also there was no it wasn't like there in front time to get a new mic and it was like there was no there wasn't there wasn't any like gigging or open mics or anything
2: mm-hmm.
1: so I was just kind of like all right like time to really like learn the studio side of things so I just like voraciously, I like spent a ton of time on Garage Band on this like with with this like terrible mic, and I got into I, uh, I wouldn't say I've done a ton of production work, but I've definitely been something I've like been exploring more. Uh-huh. Um, and then I started interning in a, a studio in Queens um, when I moved to New York, and like. Learned a bit of Pro Tools, bit Ableton, and, and just kind of... Um, but it's still, like, it's it really just for the purpose of, like, to... I find, like, mixing really interesting. It's something I've been trying to get into more. Really just for the purpose of, like, making some of my own stuff and, like, how to get a live acoustic sound into a more, like, filtered, you know, quote-unquote, like, electric or plastic kind of
0: setting. And do you think from learning all this production stuff yourself, it's kind of helped you hone in more on your sound and what you have wanted
1: to sound like? Yeah, totally. I mean, it's... Dude, it's depressing as hell, man. <laughs> it's... <laughs> It's a really weird thing because you you have these like, it's real. I I was saying this a lot when I first started learning it and I still feel like I'm first starting to learn it, but production is, it's really like the, to use your language or you asked like, have you know, like I've always kind of been on the back end and now I'm getting into the front end, which is I think a more traditional narrative for a lot of musicians, but it's like, I was always front end and I'm like, now moving, I'm like trying to learn the back end of things. Uh And it's really, it's, it's a huge ego check because as an, it's like, there's a lot of self doubt as an artist that you have to work through, I think, because like when you first record yourself, because you just don't know what you're doing with recording lines, you sound terrible. And why would you? Or why wouldn't you? Like you don't know. I mean, you, like you don't know yeah. how to make yourself sound good. You don't know. Like it's a totally other skill. And the you think because you're a good writer and maybe because you're a good performer, that's going to mean that you know how to capture yourself on audio well. And that's right. just a totally other skill set. So until I realized that like those were two very distinct sets of skills, I was like, wow, like I'm a shit artist. Like I can't, I can't make art that sounds good to people, and that that must mean the art is bad. And it took some discipline to realize like, to, you know, like, can kind of, you have to learn what you don't know and to kind of be like, no, like I'm not as bad as I, as I thought I was. And right. I've been doing this for a long time. And, and, and I believe in what I'm producing. I just have to figure out how to package it. Well, Produ- production to me is a lot about like packaging or yes. like, or I use the word like also like extraction a lot. Like you're trying, you have a sound in your head or in your fingers, you know, whatever it is and you're, and you're trying to extract it and like manifest it well. And, uh, and that's a real, that's a skill. And if you don't have it, then, you're, you're gonna need to pay somebody else to do it for you, or you're not gonna, you're, you're gonna need to play live, and that's it, <laughs>
0: you know? Yeah, for sure. Like, I was just agreeing in my head about some of the things you were saying about with production, because I kind of come from a similar background where it's like when I was going back to school for journalism and things like that, I have always had a strong background in writing and like editing and that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. So, like, yeah. learning the production side of things is a whole different frontier. But once yeah. you like know how everything works together, and it's similar with music. Once you know how everything works together, like you just have like such an appreciation for the whole process and like, it makes you like produce something
1: even better. Yeah, I think nowadays, especially when like, you know, hip hop is gigantic and like electronic and house music are, are just like, it's unparalleled how big this stuff is. I think mm-hmm. there's a, like an available stereotype of like this kind of like mechanical engineering, like vibe musician, you know what I mean? Like the guy who's like sitting at the mixer yeah. or like whatever it is. Kind of, I was listening uh, last night, I was just watching a bunch of like, uh, you know, Sylvan Esso. I don't think um, so, now. I, uh, I was worth checking out, just wa- watching a bunch, bunch of them last night. But they're kind of like sort of like down-tempo, like electronica kind of stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, like, inst- I mean, essentially, like, it's, it's like well, you know, past established that, like, electronics are, like, their own instrument by now. And I'm kind of this, like, much older, I think, stereotype of, like, the very, like, raw kind of live acoustic artist that, like, just doesn't, like, I seem to offend anything mechanical, like, <laughs> anything metal doesn't like me. So anything with like a current running through, it doesn't come naturally to me, I think. So (laughs) real, it's a different skill set. And it's something you have to, it's something I think of it as like something ugly, but rewarding to learn.
0: Well, now I have to ask you about your sound specifically, and just like your musical influences, because this was something I put out to you before we got on about your Nirvana shirt. And you said, I think you said someone that you like, but you don't
1: sound like. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I listen to a bunch of people that I uh, love, but don't sound anything like. Uh, It's one of my favorite band of all time is like Counting Crows. Um, They're who I grew up with. That's a nice one. Yeah, they're cool. Yeah, big like childhood, childhood idols. Uh, My dad used to play a lot of them when I was growing up around the house. So I have a tremendous, tremendous admiration for them. But I love, 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 love up there. Also like grew up a ton with like Dave Matthews. It's like huge, huge influence on me. Um, I think the only thing I did age is like 13 to 15 is like play every day of song. I mentioned also, I think before we went on the air, a uh, huge Fleet Foxes fan, um, a lot of that, that kind of thing. Simon de Garfunkel, Dylan is like my, also like my hero. That's uh, a lot, a lot of that kind of cross emotional indie folk kind of thing. <laughs> but then outside of that, I mean, I listen to like a bunch of hip hop and like, you know, a huge, huge Nirvana fan also. And uh, I, although I do think there is. As much as, you know, like joke about it, like I don't sound anything like grunge at all. I think there's a lot. <laughs> uh, there is, I do, I think, get a lot from that. Like there's like the kind of the raw, the raw emotional thing, very like structured style of songwriting, like mm-hmm. kind of like I and mean, not really... Not really giving a shit about who he's making music for, I think, is something I aspire to. Yeah,
0: when I was listening to your stuff, I was thinking like it's very like worldly. It made me think of Ireland. I was like, this sounds like I should be listening to this like <laughs> yeah, I in, love that. In, a, in a field and like Ed Sheeran yeah, so and, like, in the background. Listen, they like, I actually listen know.
1: to a bunch of Irish music.
0: <laughs> okay, so maybe I am. Maybe I'm not crazy then.
1: No, you're not at all crazy. <laughs> I'm actually. Uh, I uh, the last song on my EP, uh, it's called "Lullaby" in parentheses in the Moonless Main Tide. It was a senior year of college. and I was on a road trip with a a friend of mine, Isaac. We were like (laughs) a week away from finishing Brandeis. And we were like, we're never going to be in New England for the rest of our lives, which is probably not true. But we were being really dramatic. And we were like, we've never been to Maine. Like, let's go to Maine right now. I had like a final the next day. And um, we drove out and we were in Maine for like 11 hours. (laughs) And we, we were walking along the beach. On the Atlantic which to me felt like it was like the, it was like the end of the earth it was like the coolest thing <laughs> um yeah we were like kind of drunk it was like two in the morning it was like this that's awesome <laughs> yeah this beautiful beautiful scene and I so I yeah I wanted to write something and I started like getting some stuff in my head and I I've always been but at the time I was like variant Irish music and I had this this like little like kind of folksy melody that I initially wanted to—that was ended up being the melody. The song it was like that kind of thing, and it ended up that I was like literally—I was like, let me write an Irish folk song like about this setting right now, It like feels oddly appropriate. Mm-hmm. And I intended for it to be a cappella. And then I was playing with a friend of mine, Yitz, when I was living in Jerusalem, like a little mm-hmm. bit over a year ago, and who's an extremely gifted piano player who's actually on two tracks on the uh, on the EP. I was showing him the song and I was like, don't play anything. It's like an acapella thing, whatever. And he just like ignored me and started (laughs) playing this like heartbreakingly beautiful jazz piano over it. And then I was like, that's the song forever. So it's funny because it almost like buried the Irish thing. Like you don't notice it as much because it sounds like a smoky jazz room kind of thing because of his touch. But that was like, that's like totally the history of the song. I was like really drawing from, the, I, I like the uh, the like world music tradition and kind of like the rawness of it and like the music that sounds like it's coming from a culture rather than a, a person. Mm, I like that, that's a cool way yeah. of phrasing it. Well, let's talk a little bit more about that project. It's
0: called Some Nice Songs that you put out yeah. last year in 2020. We just talked about the last song, like you mentioned mm. Lullaby. What about the rest of that project? Like what was it like putting that together?
1: So like I said, I, I, um, I put up two uh, solo albums under my real name uh, like a few years ago. And then i hadn't really i just never got around it was one of those things that just you know just kind of i was also like in school i was like am i gonna do this for a living like i knew i always wanted to make music but i was kind of like it'll happen eventually like I don't, you know i just never really got around to recording mm-hmm. and then i ended up stuck at home with my parents for five months losing my mind uh with all this like equipment and nothing to do with it and i had like such a backlog of music so the ep ended up being just five songs but it was kind of like it was just some stuff i two of those songs. So there was lullaby. Oh, I almost actually forgot about this. I was in, I was recording a session in Israel before I left where I thought I was going to stay longer with my friend yet. I was talking about on piano and we were planning on putting out like, let's, you know, I have this backlog, let's do this like seven, eight song EP. We'll kind of put ourselves out there and we'll just like try to make it and like see what happens. Other uh, uh, friend of mine, Ben Wallach um, was producing it. And since this was like, you know, before I was into like producing my own stuff and that kind of thing, like we were talking about before. And we ended up, getting five songs in, two or three of them were like undeveloped. Two of them were the first song in the last, what ended up being the first song and the last song on the EP, uh, Every That's Night Gale, News and Lullaby, both of which had to some extent been kind of sitting in my head for like a one minute on my phone, you know, for like a while. Mm-hmm. And um, the other three were kind of unfinished. Then, you know, I rushed home and decided I wanted to move to New York. And when I was in Chicago over the summer working on kind of all this stuff, I had, uh, I just, I, I kind of, so I had like those two sitting there and I was like, it's a shame to not to just these like, got to go somewhere. Uh, and the other three kind of, yeah, like things that had developed either while I was living in Israel or a bit before. And I just kind of wanted to, I, I want, I was like really eager to a little, like hungry to like do something, put something It has been so long. So it's kind of like, all right, let me start my own motion here. And it was kind of like, came up with like the pleasant present brand and started, you know, a new Instagram. And I got on TikTok a few months ago and, and everything, you know, just kind of started like, started, like started like putting some stuff together and trying to like kick myself in the ass a little bit creatively. That's kind of where the project came from. Yeah. It like pushing yourself. Good, yeah. yeah yeah, it was really, it was very much like five individual pieces. I wasn't thinking of like, I'm going to work on an album. It was more like I'm in a creative flow for like a few months and let's kind of like see what comes out of it. And I finished it and I was like, these are some nice songs. (laughs)
0: It sounds like it was kind of a new experience for you. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, sort of. Uh, I had never really, I've been, I'm like writing on and off all the time. I always say I, I kind of like write in batches. I'll like write between like, you know, seven and 10 songs over like, maybe like a six month period that I like really like a bunch, you know, a bunch of other ideas that get scrapped or whatever. But that kind of thing, give or take. And then I'll go dormant for a few months and like hate myself and be like, I can't write. And, <laughs> and this has happened for like years. Right. Um, and I haven't learned my lesson. But um, <laughs> so this time, this time around, I'd always been kind of doing that. And then I would kind of put the batch aside. And then this time around, I was kind of like, I was like, you know what, like now, like we spoke about before, like now that I'm kind of learning the mechanics of like, where to how to how to get it online and how to make it sound how to package it, and like realize the sounds in my head um what if I just try like this batch I'll kind of put out myself and I'll make it sound the way I want to which was yeah really exciting and I'm like working on um a little bit more ambitious project myself like just you know by small standards but like right now uh doing I'm kind of onto sort of the next sort of batch Mm -hmm. and um and also like I have a bunch of older backlog a little bit of mix of like new and old for me not that anyone else know the difference and um (laughs) throwing i'm trying to throw on some synth. i'm trying to get some friends in different cities around the world to like send me in some uh backing tracks and that kind of thing and just you know cool. like getting getting used to the kind of home production thing the home studio environment yeah <laughs> yeah it's an interesting place i'm like just getting over my like toxic combination of like intimidation and laziness i'm like <laughs> Gus, like okay i know enough now just a bit that i can kind of like make the gears turn how big would you say that
0: backlog is that you've referenced now twice, I think, because I'm always just so fascinated when artists and musicians and producers just have so much material that stays in that log, or yeah. just goes unreleased. Like, is that yeah. stuff that you've just accumulated throughout, you know, the past however many yeah, years? It's crazy. also to like
1: think about myself in like, like if I have this backlog, imagine what like some of my heroes who are like these deeply prolific writers. Yeah right? Like, I'm also like, a, I'm a huge Bruce Springsteen fan, and I'm a huge Dylan fan, and not all the people, you know, everybody likes are like putting out an album every year, but some of them are, <laughs> and it's yeah. it's crazy to think what doesn't make the cut, like seeing my own. On my phone, I just have a list of just to kind of, you know, kind of remind me, called like Song Roster, I think has been the name since like high school, so that, God, it's got to be like minimum like 30, if not a, more, but of uh, over like a couple of years, which, you know, by my standard is A bunch and um yeah and it never it always ends up getting recycled because every time i'll record anything Mm -hmm. new things will come around and the process takes time and stuff also falls by the wayside man like stuff uh it's a shame it's a it's a weird feeling because there's some stuff i'm like man that was really good i wish i still cared about it you know yeah and it's kind of interesting too like that recycling
0: aspect it's like you might want to when you revisit something you might only like certain aspects of it or you might realize you liked it more than originally maybe like i don't like this anymore like things change like crazy all the time
1: yeah the the phenomenon of like relevance artistically is like really interesting to me i used uh, i remember i think the first time i'd ever kind of uh, like acquainted I was, I was i was too young to like have i think i was 16 i was watching uh, do you know john butler it's like the uh the sounds familiar uh, yeah yeah he's like an australian he's, he's a crazy guitarist and um i was listening to john butler when i was like 16 i was watching a video of him doing this like classic crazy crazy instrumental he has called ocean and it was like a five-minute version of what's usually like a 20-minute song. And, and at the intro, he's like, you know, he goes, uh, he's, I'm playing the song. He's like, it's, it's still relevant for me. And I remember I was like 16, like everything was still relevant. You know, I hadn't like been over a life phase. <laughs> that was like all of my life was the same phase. So I didn't totally understand that. But that always kind of stuck with me. Is like other oh, stuff isn't relevant for you. Like I was, what does that mean? But it's so, I remember thinking that as a kid. And it's so interesting to me now that like, especially when I record, almost none of the stuff that I have recorded, I will ever play again. it's it's kind of wild like unless i'm asked to or you know doing something particular with people or whatever it is or for old time's sake but like Mm -hmm. i find myself jamming on my own stuff sometimes just like work you know when i'm writing or having a good time or whatever expressing or whatever it is but a lot i will rarely play stuff that's already been put to paper but the stuff that does get like a, a couple songs like slip through those i know are like keepers like i'm like oh like this is the best stuff i've ever written like, if I'm still playing it, it's, like, presented itself to me as still relevant. Otherwise, there would, it would be long gone. You know what I mean? Like, so that's kind of, it's an interesting, I'm, like, learning about my own creative process, I think. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you consider yourself a performer?
1: Yeah, definitely. But it, it's funny you ask that. I don't, uh, not in the conventional sense, I think. Like, I think when people, I think there's, like, an image of, like, I'm not, you know, painting a lightning bolt over my face and, like... <laughs> Um, I, I think, uh, I, I don't, I don't know if I can myself a particularly charismatic person, <laughs> but, uh, I thrive in and prefer like the intimate setting much more. Like I like the coffee house vibe and, and I like the small dimly, dimly lit room and that kind of thing. But, um, but I really enjoy, I really do enjoy performing. I find performance like kind of symbiotic. I think like for some, I don't really think of myself as an entertainer. I think like that's kind of something else. I don't necessarily always feel like I'm like, I don't know, like assuming a character or something, although in a certain sense, maybe I do. But for me, like performance is kind of like you're, you're sharing something with people and you're kind of like inviting them into like a little place in your head and you're sort of all there together. So I really gotcha. like in that sense. Performance is very that's that's something I really get a, like a big adrenaline rush rush from doing is sort of being present with people.
0: Well, it's interesting you don't consider yourself much of an entertainer because on your Instagram you have yourself listed as a temporary quarantine Quartainer. entertainer. So, yeah. <laughs> what's
1: that? Like, what's that in reference to? That was just when I was uh, when I was like kind of building up the uh, the Instagram and and okay. uh, you now kind of a TikTok thing in the beginning. Maybe I yeah, maybe I am a little bit. I don't know. I, I think um, I, I also think there's two sides to me musically. But a lot of my the stuff that I write and like the stuff that ended up on that EP on the Some Nice Songs EP was um, that was kind of more I guess you'd call it, like sincere, intimate, like kind of stuff i was running like this is really how i feel and, and this is kind of like i guess the more to my core i like hesitate to use the word like deeper because it's like so cliched but it's you know that kind of stuff is like felt like a little like deeper from inside me but i i mean music's a ton of fun <laughs> and i have a ton of fun doing it and um especially when you're playing with other people that's kind of it's like a different sort of different side of me i think musically comes out and i think that side was also what i was like half and half what i was trying to do on the social media mm-hmm. um i think too like a lot of the like, jokes, and, and you know, I was, like, messing with, like, the, the Mario Bros theme music recently, and <laughs> Right. Yeah. to that extent, maybe, maybe I do have an entertainer streak in me.
0: Yeah, I would say it's pretty fun. Like, I would say that's a good way to get people entertained.
1: Yeah, yeah, there's, like, fun and beauty, I think, are, like, two overlapping, but, like, very different, like, approaches to common mm-hmm. music from. and you hear the greats do both. I mean, like, you know, that's why one of the things I love about Dylan is you hear, like, Dylan will, like, make you cry and shudder, <laughs> and then, like, literally five minutes later, like, in the next song, he's, like... The, well, what's that on on Free Will and where he's talking about like some uh, like politics? He's talking about some politician I forget who, and he's like he's eating bagels and like he's just like <laughs> right, yeah. I mean like Dylan's like making you cry and then he's word bagels in the same sentence. So.
0: Yeah, it's insane. Who who would have thought?
1: <laughs> well, what about those two other projects
0: that you mentioned that you released under your full name like way back when? <laughs> Were you performing with those at all?
1: Uh, I never really had the chance to get out and play them anywhere. Really, I'm like from like. Chicago suburbs and, and never really like knew kind of how to like break out of the bubble musically and that kind of thing which is kind of in my head I'm still like playing in my own basement I'm kind of always like getting over that self-image so a bunch of open mics really uh, one or two open mics in particular I used to like go go kind of frequent a lot when I was in Chicago in high school and then when I was in Boston me and Harlow actually used to uh in uh, Late Night Thoughts uh we used to uh we used to go over to um, a bar Irish pub called Terry O'Reilly's in uh, Newton in Boston Mm -hmm. and uh, like play the open mic there and it was like a really nice musical community so I never really had the chance to I feel like to like market or grow that's like a little more what I'm thinking now is like how am I going to kind of where am I going with this yeah short answer not a ton play on the street a lot too really enjoy
0: yeah do you feel like New York is the place where you can really kind of start marketing yourself and like branding yourself more
1: yeah I hope so it's a great question Um, I definitely hope so which is different than yes. <laughs> Those are two <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah. It, it feels like there's like the city's like hatching a little bit. So I hope to, I'm thinking about living on the Upper West Side right now. And over there, there isn't much going on musically, I think. So I'm thinking about a move to Brooklyn and trying to like break into the scene and you know, meet other artists. And, you know, so I don't have like, you know, crazy big plans in particular, but I'd like to just like plant my, plant my feet and, introduce myself to the scene
0: Mm -hmm. yeah because it's interesting just hearing you talk about all the places you've been like you said you grew up in chicago you went to school in boston you studied in jerusalem for a little bit like and now you're in new york so it's like maybe that worldly aspect we mentioned earlier is more relevant than you think
1: yeah i (laughs) have a point there man i hope you're right i mean i new york is is i mean look it's i've been a, a as a fan new york's the coolest place to be in the world mm-hmm. and i could not be more excited me and my wallet are like at drastic odds about <laughs> being psyched i, I hear you i hear yeah. ya. <laughs> so i'm gonna go broke as soon as concerts are back but um and they're starting to a little bit but uh, as a fan it's like the coolest place to be in the world which means as a performer it's there if you have the uh the wherewithal and the talent to break in i think so you know i hope i do
0: mm-hmm. and how has your work and your music career kind of I guess, either impacted each other mm-hmm. or made it difficult for each other. Like, yeah. before we got on to, I asked you about that and you work at a studio and you're also a guitar teacher. So how does that all kind of feed in to your artistry?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. It's really, it's just like goes to show that like, there's like challenges are like not a sign you're necessarily doing anything wrong, more just like a function of being a human being. Because <laughs> I think if I was really doing music full-time, I imagine, I especially now, I imagine I'd be like a deeply, deeply frustrated person. And I... I'm not doing it full-time right now but um, although I would like to in the future but I work in a really cool i I've, I got a cool job that I like and uh, we're, we're building up a, a business here to uh, to kind of rather saying like I work for a vocal coach and I teach guitar here myself and we're um, we're trying to like book artists here to kind of like film shoots and have small gigs and kind of like an acoustic sort of thing and like kind of half small music school, half small event venue. That's kind of the, that's kind of- I center. like
0: that. That's unique. I like that.
1: Yeah. And uh, a uh, sort of a, just a multi-purpose like art space is kind of how we, we sort of talk about it. And so while it, while I'm not technically like writing and performing full time by any means, I'm like very much surrounded by music all day. Mm -hmm. Which I love and when I'm not, um, when I'm like doing the more business side of things we're like helping to grow a community where me myself and like a bunch of our friends and new friends are like going to be able to come and perform themselves so it does feel really a really cool part of that world.
0: Do you have like a timeline in terms of when you kind of want to put out something next like you mentioned you're kind of working on stuff here and there, but do you have like a certain timeline? Yeah, specifically
2: not.
1: It's funny because I, I really do work better under under pressure um mm-hmm. so i should probably if i wanted to like light a fire under my own ass i would probably give myself a deadline mm-hmm. but i like i like the open ended nature of of where i'm at musically right now I like i like that it doesn't feel rushed and projects can kind of come to me as they as they come um and it's sort of exciting to just kind of like not really be in anyone's go- like i feel like i have a secret you know what i mean it's it's like that's like where i'm at right now i'm trying to cherish it because hopefully if things go well once i reveal the secret people will like it enough that they'll want me to do more and then I'll be in a deadline right. so I'm kind of for me I'm like in you know which is maybe I'm delusional and I'll continue to like to do an open-ended thing but but in my <laughs> own head it's a nice place to be to kind of be like a little bit on my own time for the time being and, and put down ideas as they come
0: because mm-hmm. do you have like some bigger like aspiration for yourself like you mentioned you're not super into like you know the bigger venues or any kinds of like those types of things. But do you have like yeah. any other aspirations like to get yeah, signed? I, definitely, or... I mean, I would, I would
1: love, like if I was I, for sure, if I, if I was paying the bills, like writing, performing, and, and like working with other artists, whether it's writing, performing, mixing, producing, like whatever, that's like, I think just like being on the scene is definitely my goal. I would love, I mean, I really do love like writing and performing um, mm-hmm. I've said that, like four times in the last 10 seconds. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's definitely, it's something like, I, I, I'm working like very, very slowly, like I said, kind of on my own pace on, I, I, I think it's going to shape up to be a fuller album. What I think is going to happen is I'm going to have like four or five songs, like ready to go. And I'm working on a couple right now. And, and when when they're done, I'll be like, should I, put this out, should I put this out as an EP? Or should I kind of take it all away? Mm. Um, which is going to take longer and more laziness and intimidation to get over. And then when I get over that hump, I think I'm kind of picturing like a 10, 11 song EP like our 10 or 10, 11 song album and uh, uh, like sort of a fuller, fuller arrangements, some solo stuff, but like some friends joining in and um, like produced and I'm in charge of the sound kind of like ground up sort of project. And then when I put it out, I'd like hopefully, you know, stuff will be open by then
0: mm-hmm. more
1: than it's starting to now. And, and I'll be able to uh, kind of perform and join the circuit. That's like short term goals. That's kind yeah. of how I'm thinking about it.
0: Yeah. I'm interested to ask you this because you kind of mentioned the EP versus like a full album yeah. concept. What are your views on yeah putting out multiple EPs versus putting out a full length album because I remember I was listening to an interview, I was watching an interview with um, Jeremy Zucker Mm, and he had said that he like, by the way, yeah, he's great. Mm. Like, and he put out a slew of EPs before he put out his debut album, which came out in I think last year, 2020, he like was saying how an EP is like the perfect way to just experiment with the sound and then kind of like move on to something else or like Mm. keep using what you're using. Like what are your views on that?
1: Yeah, I think, it's, I think it's definitely a stylistic thing. On top of, uh, like, subjective, it's just a person-to-person thing, like, personal style, I think it's also a genre thing. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I think Jeremy Zucker's doing the kind of, like, I don't even know what to call it, like, lo-fi pop stuff. I think what he's doing, he's also really production-heavy. So yeah. there is a lot of um, musical experimentation. Like, I think he thinks of himself as, like, a tinkerer. That no, he lot does, of, for sure. Yeah, and, like, uh, and a lot of, kind of what we were backtrack a little bit what we were talking about earlier about like these kind of like sort of like new age stereotype of a uh, musicians who kind of think of themselves as almost more like mechanical, like kind of like very like heavy on the production side and on the back end and that kind of things. I think Jeremy Zucker is like definitely part of that group. And I think in that world, uh, EPs really work. And I totally, like I see what he's saying a lot. It's like a very, like I have the sound in my head. I want to mess with it for like two months and then like throw it out or like, you know, learn from it and like see what happens next. For me, I, I love experimentation but I think of myself less as like a, a tinkerer, I guess, more as I don't even know what to call it. Almost like a painter, I think, is a little bit how I kind of in my own head. Oh, like, okay. You know, I have, almost like yeah, like I have like I have ideas and I'm trying to get them down and kind of present them. Yeah, you I, have like, like an image and you're trying to project. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right, exactly. And like sometimes the sounds involve experimentation. And um, and something that's been in my head recently, but I'm not really doing it for the sake of the experiment as much as I like the experiment is like something that I'm learning from to kind of express myself, if that makes sense.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: I think for that, an EP, I see an EP more as a way to like kind of send feelers out, kind of like I have like four or five songs and I can I want to kind of put them out and see see where they land, mm-hmm. um, see how it feels, like see like the, the kind of like how it feels for me, like kind of the coherence of the piece. Um, and an album is, is more of a, like a longer personal statement. Yeah, it's like an essay versus a book. Wow, that's a really good way to say it. Yeah, I think musical re- releasing music is like such a I mean, I'm I'm fairly new to it also cuz like I said I've just been in my in my head in my basement for so many years. I, the it's it's just it's a different dynamic and like I'm very like I said like since I tend to be much more kind of like grassroots about stuff, I'm very like annoyed. Like the anti-corporate part of me is like very like is like I find marketing like a real chore. And like releasing me, I mean, I'm, you know, I don't really think anyone listens to albums anymore, anyway, which is like a huge bummer. But um, when I, if I finish this project, I definitely want to put out enough just for myself, like, you know, screw those people. I like want to, I have this is a project I want to put out, and I want yeah. enough people to experience it. Yeah. But but, um, but at the same time, I'm definitely going to look into like how to um, how to market it well and how to treat it both as a whole work and something to like kind of be friendly to the public.
0: Gabby, like, thank you so much for coming on and taking <laughs> the time to speak with me. There's one thing I want to ask you that I haven't touched upon yet. And it it's just is. with your voice specifically, what kind of comparisons or what kind of things have people said about your voice? Like, I'm just curious to ask you first before I'm going to say what I'm going to say.
1: People say I sound like Jason Mraz a lot, which like, I don't know mm-hmm. how I feel about that. I don't dislike the guy. <laughs> not no strong feelings here or there, but uh, I've gotten that. It, it's always funny. I it's I definitely know it's distinct. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that it's great. I'm definitely not like a professional singer by any means. Um, I like to think I like sing well enough to sing my own stuff and like have fun doing it but people tend to tell me that it's unique and every once in a while i'll like get some like obscure indie artist on uh someone i'll like send me a spotify link to him and be like this guy sounds exactly like you and i'll be like crap he does like that's weird but why
2: who do, who
0: do you who are you hearing i was like i don't think you're gonna see this coming but uh, i swear to god i heard freddie mercury in your voice
1: <laughs> did i not swear to god at all. <laughs> oh wow i mean i that's a tremendous compliment it's um From a purely technical standpoint, it's definitely wrong. (laughs) Um, I think that guy has eight times the range that I do. But uh, I'm a huge, I'm a big Queen fan, big Freddie Mercury admirer, both personally and artistically. But uh, yeah, I kind of hear what you're saying. We're both like dude tenors, which is like kind of weird. Yeah,
0: that's exactly what I would say. It was your tone. It was definitely your tone.
1: Yeah, thanks for the compliment, man.
0: Well, Gavi, thank you so much again. I really appreciate you coming on. Why don't you let people know where they can find you and find your music so they can look up your stuff?
1: Yeah, definitely check me out. I go by Pleasant Peasant. I'm under uh, Instagram and TikTok under uh, Pleasant Peasant Music, Pleasant underscore peasant underscore music. If you look up Pleasant Peasant, it'll show up. Uh, I got my uh, EP on uh, Spotify, YouTube, Apple Music, anywhere you listen to music. Pleasant Peasant, some nice songs and uh, more coming soon. Follow me on social media and uh, stay tuned. Thanks to David and the On Rotation podcast. This has been a ton of fun, man.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much again. I appreciate it. Hey everyone, it's Maria Sol. I want to give a shout out to On Rotation Podcast for giving me this opportunity to share my music. I'm here to share my new single called Waterfalls. I hope you like it. I hope you enjoy it. And thank you so much. BB Rixa is out with her sophomore album. It's called Better Mistakes and this follows her 2018 album release Expectations. And Alex, I actually want to start by asking you this cuz a lot of people know BB Rixa from Meant to Be, which was her huge hit from I think 2019 with Florida Georgia Line. But she's been yeah. featured and like has given her voice/songwriting to a lot of like big hits. Like do you know about that like some of the songs she's kind of helped to produce?
2: I knew she was a songwriter, but I don't know the specific songs that she produced. No. I became a fan of her, actually, after seeing her in concert in 2018. I went to the Kiss concert, and I had heard her songs. Meant to Be was big at the time. I loved her collaboration with uh, Martin Garrix in The Name of Love. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a huge like song on the radio and everything at that time. So I had kind of already had a little bit of information about her. But yeah, the KISS concert was really what kind of brought uh, my attention to her.
0: Yeah. And like I like how you mentioned some of those other collabs that she had, because that's kind of how she started to get noticed. And the song specifically that I was going to mention was she actually wrote The Monster, which was Eminem and Rihanna's duet. I don't know if you knew that.
2: Yeah. No, I didn't know that she wrote it. But yeah, Yeah.
0: that's
2: great song.
0: Yeah, she wrote it. And actually in the article that... I sent you before we recorded this and she did an article with the gay times. And she talked about writing that song and how she like didn't really she felt like she had to give it up because she needed like the money and the exposure. But she was like, she just like knew it was a hit. So I thought that was really cool. She was featured on Hey Mama, which is I think Afrojack and Nicki Minaj are on that and yeah, me myself and that. I with G So she's actually been on like featured on a lot of really big tracks.
2: Yeah, she has. And I feel like that's a story for a lot of people in the music industry. Like they, like um, they don't have their big break until this, or um, the songs that they often want for themselves, they have to give up in order to make the money and get noticed that way first, you know? So a lot of times they'll be like, Oh, I wrote this song for myself, but the record label is like, okay, it'll be really big if we give it to this artist. Mm -hmm. Um, So you'll get the credits off it and whatever. So They get noticed in a way, but it's a great stepping stone. And Baby Rex is a great example of that.
0: I think especially what people are saying about her sophomore album, like I said, it's called Better Mistakes, is that it's really more clean and it's more put together in terms of the sound that she wants to create. And I really like her, too, as an artist, because something else I picked up from the article is that she talks about like not being the typical pop star and being very like unapologetic and very open with her fans and specifically she's really open about her mental health and just knowing you personally, and I've had you on the podcast before as well, where we've kind of touched upon this topic of mental health and music and artists that show it so well. Like, obviously you must think that's like a huge, you know, motivation factor for her to put out music and like resonates with her fans.
2: I did. And I didn't, I honestly went into this album kind of expecting like, a little bit of a generic pop sound just because what we've heard from her is, you know, we've heard really, really good music, but she makes like these pop radio hits. And so that's what I kind of figured this album was going to consist of. But when I listened to it, I realized that so much of it had all this deeper meaning and she was really not afraid to be vulnerable Mm. about her low points and her growth from it and her acceptance and how she coped. And listening to this album all the way through, it was just, it was a great experience to watch her journey. And that's not something I had anticipated going into this album, but after a few listens and just getting familiar with the story, it, mm-hmm. it really is touching.
0: And it's funny because I usually like to keep terms or keep tabs on the like bigger pop albums that come out throughout the year. Cause like, I like pop music, but I don't follow it like super, super closely. And I've like listened to a couple of them, like Justin Bieber's album. We did Ariana's album, the deluxe version when it came out. I really like Nick Jonas's album that came out. And each one like is good. But I feel like like what you just mentioned, BB Rix's album is better in the sense that it like has so many other different elements that are more personal and raw and just like also sonically. I also think there's a lot of different um like energy levels that she has with the different tracks on the album. Like, There are some that are really high energy, some of them that are really low. And there's ones, too, that I kind of describe as like softer, yet dramatic. Like I have them written here, like Empty and Mama, which come at the end of the album. It's like she'll start off very like slow and very quiet, but then it builds and then she kind of brings it back down. So she plays a lot with dynamics, I noticed on this album.
2: That's what i noticed too um both vocally and with the music and that's kind of what keeps you wrapped in, because a lot of songs i feel like you hear them and it's you hear the literally the first few notes and you're like oh okay this is a ballad this is a dance record and then you know what to expect the rest of it this keeps you in the loop because you don't know what to expect by the end uh, whether she's gonna come in real strong with her vocals or the beat is gonna change totally or anything like that so yeah it really just kind of it was interesting and I, I just loved her variation of dynamics like you said.
0: Mm-hmm. And she opened it like literally with a bang with the Break My Heart song with Travis Barker. And that one just from reading the article too and hearing it, like it's it's just so open about coping with anxiety and mental health and being very, I guess, like self-deprecating in a way. It
2: is. And I feel like the album definitely starts with her low point. And she is kind of, like, she's literally saying in this song, I do not need somebody to break my heart because I will do it myself. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's almost sounds like, like, by the title, you think it's going to be, like, a regular, like, self-love pop song. Like, I don't need nobody. Like, I can break my heart myself. But, like, when listening to the context, it's honestly kind of heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, I wrote in my notes, dance crying because it, it's like really sad depressing lyrics over a beat that makes me want to get up and um <laughs> I am an emotional person I I love that I,
0: it's funny because put- I've noticed like a lot of songs like that in the mainstream too yes. like I get that too like I definitely am someone that relates to that where it's like the lyrics are so happy but it's com- it's like paired with these, like, more somber, like, tones or vice versa. Like, the lyrics are really sad and then the music's, like, really happy.
2: Yes. What it reminds me of, if you've listened to Chromatica by Lady Gaga, Mm -hmm. where she's kind of singing about, like, her low points over these beats that you would hear in, like, a disco club. Or, like, Dua Lipa, Future Nostalgia, same thing. And Mm. that's really what that reminded me of. But I knew off the bat from that that it was going to be interesting because she's not a like she's automatically not afraid to play with what you expect versus what you're
0: going to get. And yeah, that kind of feeds into this unapologetic nature that she was really going for. And like, she was quoted in that article too, that I mentioned earlier, I really Mm -hmm. liked, um, well, Sabotage was the one that came after break my heart. So that one was actually one of the singer singles she put out beforehand.
2: Yeah. I
0: actually didn't like that one when I first heard it, but then the more I listened to it, it's like a really powerful song She's saying, like, why do I sabotage everything I love? So that's another case of her just being really open about, you know, her own mental health and self-deprecation.
2: Exactly. And it's just a reflection of what she's feeling in that first record where she is just kind of, like, she's being tortured by the demons in her head. It's a power ballad. I wrote down the lyric, matches in my back pocket. I'm the queen of burning bridges. I thought that was... Uh, amazing because yeah, the matches in her back pocket. I was trying to think of what she could mean as the metaphor, mm-hmm. and I think that is literally just like her self doubt, her trauma, like all of these things that are going to come to play that get in her way and make her not believe in herself. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of what I took would be the matches in her pocket, um, mm-hmm. and I just thought that was a powerful line, and it stood out to me.
0: I think definitely from listening to this album, you can tell that she started off as a songwriter and like all these other experiences she's had behind the scenes in the industry before putting out her own music. Like that was a note that I had written down. Like, mm-hmm. it's really telling like how personal and how articulate she is. Like, I'm just looking at it now. Um, Baby, I'm Jealous, which was with Doja Cat and another one of the singles that came off the album like before, even that one like is it deals with a very common like concept. But it like the way she articulates it in that song is so like clever.
2: Yeah. Um And Baby, I'm Jealous. That was a song that like it was a lead single. And it really struck me because I was like, this bass line is infectious. Doja Cat's flow on it too. Doja just knows how to jump on any song, make it her own, add spice and flavor to it. I love that. So yeah, I just want to say that about Baby Angelus real quick. Perfect choice for a lead single. Yeah,
0: I heard that song too before, like the album, obviously, because I think it came out over a year ago now. And I really, really liked it. And that kind of got me more in tune with BB and her music. And Sacrifice too is a single that she put out not that long before Better Mistakes came out. And I had that song on repeat for so long. Like I had it saved almost right after I first heard it because I thought it was so good.
2: Yeah, Sacrifice is another like big dance crying song almost. That one That one reminded me the most of Chromatica, I would say, um, in terms of its production. But it almost seemed like she was like reflecting positivity for the first time on the album. Mm-hmm. Because she's kind of saying like, she's kind of putting herself on a pedestal and saying, you know, if you're going to be with me, you need to be worth it. Like you need to be willing to put in the sacrifice, as mm-hmm. you know, the title says. And that's when I started to feel a little bit of relief for her because, you know, at this point in the album, I've heard so much like self-deprecation. I'm like, come on. (laughs) Yeah. It's the first sign of her turning around, which I was happy to hear.
0: And the story behind that song, too, I don't know how much you caught it from the article, but I paid attention to it because it was one of the singles. And I remember seeing a post from her that she said she had always been wanting to make a dance track and make dance music. And I guess this song, Sacrifice, was inspired specifically by she said it literally in the article, The Gaze and her gay best friend. And she literally like made the song because he wanted her to. And like he like she played it for him when she finished it. And she was like, I need to get his approval. And he was like, This is gonna pop off like with the gays. Like I just that. thought that was so funny.
2: Yeah, he said, You need to get on your Donna Summer right now, and yeah. your songs need to be playing like, in the gay clubs, yeah. like, you know, like, you got the poles, you got the drinks, you got the twerking, everything. It all needs to be to your album.
0: hmm As, you know, at the same time, we're, like, crying with, like, yeah. Break My Heart, Sabotage, and then we're also, like, happy with his Sacrifice.
2: So she understood the assignment.
0: Yes, yes, she did, absolutely. I would say um, she understood the assignment 100%. Yeah. And like every song in this album, like just stands alone. Like I love when an album just everything goes together, but you can still pick out the singles. Like, I don't know if that's just because I've listened to it like three times in a row, but every song just like stands out, whether it's the features she has or the different sounds like Trust Fall was one I really liked, too. It's like a double entendre saying I want to trust then I want to fall before I trust fall. My Dear Love, I really, really liked because it has Trevor Daniel on it. And like, I love Trevor Daniels voice and his style of music. And then on the go is another one that I really like because it has pink sweats on it. And I did not see that coming. I don't know if you know pink sweats, but I did not see that collaboration no, coming.
2: No, I do. I do like pink sweats. Um, mm-hmm. I listened to that album all the way through and he is just a great R&B artist. I love that album. But those songs you mentioned my dear love. That mm-hmm. one it sounded like she was kind of talking to herself almost like she's kind of being her own therapist and having like a conversation with herself where she's saying like, or to the part of her that doubts herself or hurts from trauma and doesn't serve her anymore. Mm -hmm. She's kind of trying to calm those voices down. So I thought that one had great lyrical content as well. And it's funny because from looking at the list, I feel like it's hard to pick what
0: song could be pushed as, as like the next single I think she was pushing "Die for a Man" a lot, and that one actually has been stuck in my head too.
2: "Die for a Man" it's a definitely another one that's a kind of a sign of growth, apart from what she expressed to us was her mental state in the beginning of the album, and she's talking about she's not ready for a relationship at this point, and like you know, I would never die for a man. Like she's kind of like moved past her old relationship, and now she's like, you know, I'm single. Nobody's gonna break my heart. So that's kind of where that struck me. She was at in, the, in her mental process. Do
0: you think from listening through it, like sequentially, do you think it kind of tells a story? Like you've kind of alluded to that.
2: Yes. I think it is one that starts with her in a very dark place. It talks about how she's impacted by it. It shows her getting better, but still being impacted by it. And like later on, it like morphs into acceptance and mm. Seeing that pattern, it's a pattern that we're very familiar with in terms of like people just telling stories of how they got from one place to another. And just the way that she did it and how ingrained it is and how gradual it is, and how there's no song, there there are no two songs that really express the same like thing. Like Mm -hmm. she really wrote these at different points in her healing process. So, yes, this album is definitely not only sonically, but in terms of a message, very cohesive, and that's something that I definitely appreciated as an album. It's not something where she's just producing a couple good singles and make and then recording fillers. Like she's not mm-hmm. doing writing a good album start to finish.
0: Yeah, like this is an album. I could see. I don't know how successful it'll be. Like her last album, obviously, did pretty well, and she hasn't had like too too much success with the singles compared to some of her past ones. But if it was up to me, this reminds me of like rihanna's talk that talk like almost every song from that album like charted i could literally see the same thing for this if it were to get the push and the promotion
2: for it exactly that a rihanna album would
0: yeah and like i think kind of even sonically i can kind of compare those two as well like with what they've done with their music like this is a sound that you would kind of hear from any pop artist in that realm that deals with these other genres of rock and dance and hip hop and things like that
2: yeah exactly and i think the other thing that makes her sound stand apart i think her vocals are very underrated like she's very underrated as a vocalist particularly what struck me was the high notes that she was doing at the end of sabotage i was like wow she she's like putting her emotion into it like she's not she's not just hitting high notes to like look impressive like she's really just emoting through her voice and I thought that's an incredible quality for an artist to have especially a storyteller
0: Mm -hmm. and especially for being her sophomore album like we've mentioned like she's really establishing herself as a veteran in the music industry she is what do you think of Amore like just to kind of lead to those last two songs Amore and Mama like Amore was it's like a a twist on the classic
2: like Italian
0: love song but she takes it in more of like a luxurious way Yeah,
2: that song hit me kind of personally because that, so that was my papa's favorite song and that's kind of how we are now. Yeah, because he was an Italian chef. Um, So when he cooked, he used to sing this song and I have this little guinea pig, I kid you not, in a diaper with a halo and wings and you press its foot and it sings, uh, when your moon is the... So that's what that reminded me of immediately. So I thought that was really really nice just for me personally. Um, but (laughs) (laughs) this is a song where she, Amore love. she is accepting love and receiving it. And she says, for my love, I need diamonds, the size of an Island. I deserve everything you can buy me. Mm -hmm. She's in love, but she's acknowledging her self-worth at the same time. And that shows her growth from her last relationship or from the place that she was in mentally before. That she did before she was able to love somebody else again. She loved herself before she could love someone else again. And I thought that was beautiful.
0: Mm -hmm. And then Mama is the final song that comes on. And that one I've like dissected a few times. And I wanted to bring it up mostly because you were just mentioning her vocal capabilities, Alex, and her singing. And that one she really like belts out on too. But I'm like, I feel like with Mama too, she's kind of also talking about herself in a way but like equating it to her mom you know because obviously it's called mama like did you kind of get the same feeling
2: yes i thought i mean obviously says mama my first thought when i saw the title is that it was going to be a dedication to her mother and whether or not she meant it to be for her mother it was definitely something that struck me as a message to herself like mama like she's talking to herself And it opened with an orchestra, which made me immediately know it was going to be a great record. I love that. (laughs) Yeah. She said, I cried a couple hundred nights. I'll probably cry a hundred more. I'm trying to live a diamond life. I think it's almost a much healthier perspective on the fact that she's dealing with things because that's part of life. Mm -hmm. And she's accepting that they happened. She's accepting that they're going to happen. But, you know all you can do is try and live that diamond life and it's never going to be perfect, but you know, you just keep trying and that's a journey that we're all on. So that, and I, yeah, I just thought the song was beautiful, beautiful message, a beautiful and healthy perspective.
0: Yeah. A hundred percent agree. I think the only song, well, there's a couple songs we haven't talked about, so we'll mention them really quick. Um, I mentioned on the go with pink sweats and Luna and that one, that one was kind of like, more of a making it work through a relationship that may not be working like she talks a lot about like being on the road and saying I want to love you when I'm on the go like that's a very like in between not knowing where it's gonna go type song and then to counteract that with death row which is right after that one too I think is really really catchy she's like if I was on death row you'd be my last meal or you'd be my last call so it's like She's playing a lot too, like with those kinds of dynamics, like to have those songs back to each other.
2: Yeah. And I think it's interesting watching the growth from Die for a Man, literally three songs before, Mm. for her to sit here and say that if she had one more call and she was on death row or had one last meal, one last conversation, anything, she would spend it with this person that she has fallen in love with. Whether that, I do not know if that's herself. I do not know if that, is another person i did have a theory related to the article you sent me about mm-hmm. her coming to terms with the fact that like she is not only feeling sexual about women but she's fallen in love with women before mm-hmm. i wondered if her saying i'd never die for a man and then falling in love with somebody on death row like basically saying she would die for them i wondered Ooh. if she's talking about a woman here
0: yeah that's an interesting theory
2: that was just my little uh conspiracy that i worked up while listening to this, but that's what I thought.
0: I mean, that's like sick though. Like I think that's definitely a hidden message that only very acute musical listeners would pick up on. Like we could literally find a way to see if she could, you know, allude to that, but it would only take somebody with your thinking, Alex,
2: to come <laughs> up with
0: that conspiracy. So kudos to you.
2: No, thank you. Um, <laughs> no, I, I love my music. Um, But yeah, she just put together a very, cohesive story that has so much to it that like i've only this album came out friday um we dove into it over the weekend i'm i have a feeling that there might be more to dig out with more listening and i'm excited for that because she definitely captured my interest after a couple listens
0: oh yeah me too like i wasn't huge into her before but i think i'm definitely gonna follow her now like this album definitely turned me yeah, well, Alex, thank you so much. I'm glad you decided to come back on and join the craziness with the On Rotation podcast. It was so great having you. Thank you, David. I appreciate it. I'm gonna need those
2: eyes on me. Middle of the night, I'm the only star you see. i gonna need those hands over me Cause I ain't that tight to let you go easy,
0: so. And that's the rotated review. Want to join me for the next review? Send in your suggestions to theonrotationpodcast at gmail.com. You can also hit me up on Twitter at theonrotation or Instagram at onrotationpodcast. Make sure you hit that follow button while you're at it. To read this review fully, see my blog, or listen to past episodes, log on to onrotationpodcast.wordpress.com. And now it's time to take a look at what popped this week in news. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has officially announced this year's inductees. The class of 2021 will include Foo Fighters, The Go-Go's, Jay-Z, Carol King, Todd Rudgren, and Tina Turner. According to Chairman John Sykes, this is the most diverse class in the history of the Hall of Fame. The induction ceremony will be held at the Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse in Cleveland, Ohio on October 30th. Taylor Swift became the first woman and first non-English artist to receive the Global Icon Brit Award. The award's organizers said Swift was bestowed the honor due to her immense impact on music, incredible repertoire, and achievements. She joins previous recipients like David Bowie, Elton John, and Robbie Williams. And iHeartRadio has announced the performers for the iHeartRadio Music Awards scheduled for May 27th at 8pm. With Usher hosting and performing, he will be joined on stage by The Weeknd with Ariana Grande, Bruno Mars with Anderson .Paak, Doja Cat, and Dan and Shay. Elton John will receive the iHeartRadio Icon Award. That's going to do it for this episode. Feel free to tune in next time when we rotate through a whole new slew of topics. In the meantime, keep it real, y'all. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.